Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Sunday afternoon, midday. And uh, Yom Kippur is around the corner. I want to say a few words about Yom Kippur, uh, partially based on what I was talking about on uh, Shabbat Shuvah a little bit. And uh, that would be the history, if you think about it, of sort of the evolution of Yom Kippur as a holiday, which I think is interesting. Uh, I'll jump right into it. Everybody knows that Yom Kippur has the five Inuyim. You know, Ta'anu is not Shaseichan. And um, the five Inuyim, of course, are Achila and Shasiyo, eating and drinking, that's one, and Sicho, and then Rechitza, uh, can't take a bath, wash, uh, Tashamita, and uh, Nil Sasando, about shoes. Um, so these are sort of like the halachically characteristic, uh, you know, acts of, of Yom Kippur. You think about Yom Kippur, you think about fasting, you know, tennis shoes and so forth and so on. Assuming that you hold from tennis shoes. I won't go into that. Uh, so, you know, those are how we, you know, sort of characterize Yom Kippur. But the question is, how did God characterize Yom Kippur? Which therefore means, how has Yom Kippur evolved, if it has, in terms of its uh, basic characteristics over the course of history? Just like on Rosh Hashanah, I spoke about the fact that there's clearly a history of the evolution and the changes in the laws of Tekiah Shofar. So, similarly, this is true of Yom Kippur, even though probably people don't usually think of it that way, but that's the reason I'm bringing it to your attention. Uh, let me start by saying that I want to thank uh, Abe Gluck and Glove Plumbing in Lakewood for uh, sponsoring this. A very uh, you know, above me on the call of duty. I'm very appreciative. Uh, I don't have actually sponsors for a lot this week, but we'll see if that uh, develops for the Parsh October and so forth. But uh, he's kind enough to do something for Yom Kippur. Uh, let me get right into it. Uh, what's the story with the five Inuyim? Well, everybody knows that you're only Chayav... I mean, I assume everybody listening to this podcast, most of it, just about everybody knows, that you're only Chayav Karis for eating and drinking. Correct? In other words, on you know, Yom Kippur, Achila Shti is Chayav Karis, but if somebody wears leather shoes or takes a, a shower or anything like that, you're not high of cars, right? I'm talking about taking, you know, a shower in a non-derisive way, whatever. Um, and Tashmu Shamito, so forth, it's not high of cars. It's it's, it's a difference, a loose, I say, you know. Or is it? Or is it? That's the question. Uh, there's, a fam- there's two basic opinions out there um, in the Roshonim that I know of, and uh, it's the Ravenu Tam and the Rambam. The uh, Rabbeinu Tom famously says, as anybody learned human knows this, that really the only derisa is Achilashtia. And the other Inuyim, uh, right, you know, showering the shoes, uh, marital relations, and so forth, these are Drabonin, which is very interesting. Rabbeinu Tom says this 
because he says it don't make any sense to have something as deriso as inuyim, and then they make exceptions for things that don't sound like they'd be worthy of exceptions if they're derises. And what he has in mind, of course, is that the Mishnah says, you know, at the beginning of the last parak, as they say, everybody's familiar with this, where it says, um, first mission last parak of Yuma, Yom Kippur Asr Bachil Ashtil Nil San Tashumita, Hamelcha Kali Yechutzis Paneim, Vachaya Tinel Sasandol, right? That uh, they want, you know, the Rabbi Eliezer says that, uh, I mean, actually, the Chacham also, that a, a, a king can, can do Rechitza. A kala can do rechitza, um, and there's questions about who can wear shoes. And even if you know the din, when you're walking like on the road, you can wear shoes. Uh, that's what they used to do. You look in the shulchan aruch; they'll talk about it. When they got to the Jewish neighborhood, you did. So, um, so what's going on over here? Uh, must be that the rabbeinu Tom says they really did drop on him. So once they drop on it, you can hear that there are exceptions. And notice when they made a rule up, they can't do rechitza. The same rabbis, the same Sanhedrin, they made the rule, said a melch can, can, can wash, and a kala, who's a brand new kala, can wash. Uh, that's the approach of Bainu Tom. Uh, the Rambam has a funny lotion. And the Rambam says famously that, uh, you know, uh, what, what's the expression over here? You can't do it, can't eat it. This is all in Hilchah Shemitah's author. You know, it works with the Raman. There's two places that he talks about Yom Kippur, A and B. One is Hilchah Shemitah's author, three short chapters on the the rules of, of Yom Kippur that apply to us nowadays. And then in the, you know, Sefer Avodah, he has all the long stuff on the temple ritual that we have the Mesech Yom about. So in Shemitah's author, he says that Mrs. Asay Acheres Yeshvi Yom Kippurim. There's a mitzvah say, besides malacha, v'hi lishbos v'me'achil Okay, that you can't have eating and drinking uh, because it says ta'anu is nafsho seichem. I it doesn't say the words you can't eat. So fasting is how you makayim, you know the uh, that, and he goes on to say that. Listen to the language closely. You can't do the other four things either. A washing, anointing, shoes, and beah. And it admits also to refrain from these the same way your shoves, you refrain meaning and drinking. Because it says in the Torah that Yom Kippur is also a Shabbat Shabbat it's not the only place it says it, but it says by Yom Kippur. And Shabbos in Yenachila, Shabbos in Yonimelo. The word Shabbaton applies for these things also, the other four Inuyim. Ben Chayyab and Karis a carbon, Al Achila Shtiyah, but the only time you have Karis feeding and drinking, I'll be Rachat, Sasach, and Nobal. But if you do any of the other four, Makin Makinos and Makas Martis. Then he gets Makas Martis, which we always say is like a Drabonim, Makas Martis Drabonim. So what's going on over here? On the one hand, it's like funny. You're telling me in the Rambam, Lo man You're telling me that the other four Inuyim are learned mehashmuah, and when the Rambam used the word shmuah, he means tarshaval peh. Okay, I don't want to get too technical, but you know, there's things like sort of like directly in the pasuk, and there's things that are uh, tarshaval peh, and 
the Rambam over here, of course, is talking about stuff that's in the Torah Shalapet, because like I said before, it doesn't say thou shalt not eat on Yom Kippur. But we say by Torah Shalapet, by the time the Gemara gets finished with it, that's what it means. And similarly, it seems, then we get the other four Inuyim, it's Me'ashmu, it's Midaraisa. But if that's so, then why do you get Malkus Martis? Uh, Malkus Martis for Drabonin. Okay? So there's a Ron, famous Ron, beginning of the last parak of Yuma. Again, it's very well known. And the Ron says, like it's like a Cholomoid, meaning the Torah says a general thing, and he leaves it up to the Chachamim to, to, to supply the exact regulations. So the Torah said, Tishbos, Shabbat Shabbos, you should refrain. Uh, but like the Ramban says, that means that you should have, so to speak, a Shabbos Dika atmosphere in Hilcha Shabbos. And therefore, by Yom Kippur, you should have a Yom, Yom Kippur Dika atmosphere. You know, there's a, there's a, the Rambam says this in connection with Hilcha Shabbos and Perik Hafalov, uh, where it says, this is the Rambam talking, Nemar Torah Tishbos, in Hilcha Shabbos, the Ramah said, when the Torah says Tishbos by Shabbos, it's not referring to the 39 Malachas, it's referring to stuff in addition to the 39 Malachas that you're not supposed to do. Again, And there are many things that they made a Shavos about. The Shavos means precisely this, that, you know, uh, that the Drabonin are passing legislation, I want to be very clear about this, not rabbis, it means the Sanhedrin, when they had one, is passing legislation uh, to supply, as we say, to the regulations in order to make the atmosphere a Shabbos stick. You can't expect the Torah in a few sentences to talk about every possible case that should come up. But uh, we leave it up to the Sanhedrin to figure that out. So generally we want Tishbos when it comes to Shabbos, and Sanhedrin will figure out whether or not they should ask their playing ball in the backyard, so to speak. You know what I mean? Or the Sanhedrin will figure out whether or not they should, uh, I don't know, you know, like we, we were talking about, you have one of these Shabbos digger cars, you know, that are going to be mutter soon because, you know, with modern technology, you can get around everything. I'm serious. They have these Shabbos digger cars for people that need it. So uh question is, is in the spirit of Shabbos. Uh, that's the old line, remember? When I was a kid, they said, I guess, suppose the guy has the TV on, on a timer or something like that. You know what I mean? So, uh, technically speaking, it didn't do nothing, but is it Shabbos dick? You see, but if there was on Hedra, they would legislate, can't do that. I assume, you know, that sort of business. So what that means is, Duran, what Duran means is that they're, the source of the other Inuyim is generally in the Torah. It says, Tish Shabbat Shabbat But it was the Chacham who actually passed legislation on this. Bottom line is, that both Shittas, the Rambam and the Rabbeinu Tam, agree to a certain version of history. That's where I'm coming from. And that version of history goes like this. There's Yom Kippur A and there's Yom Kippur B. I'm speaking chronologically. There was a time, obviously, before these Rabbonans were made, and then afterwards. This is just very interesting. So in other words, assuming, which we can't, but let's assume that these Rabbonans were made in Bayashani period, um, so that means that Yom Kippur was observed one way in Bayesian period and was another way in Bayesian period. Okay, the Hainu. If you think about it, how did Klal Yisrael relate to Yom Kippur 
in the bias region period in the biblical era. All the action takes place in the temple. Everything you have in the Chumash involves the coming Godel with the goats and the, the rams and all that stuff, all the ceremonies. And the Ketores, I mean, we know, generally speaking, what's going to happen on Yom Kippur. But that's one guy doing it on behalf of the whole Tzibur. That is good for the point of Yom Kippur. Chatu Amcha Yisrael, Pashu, you know. And when he brings the Ketores, he's he's bringing it on behalf and, and saving the whole Klal Yisrael, etc., etc. I mean, that's the, the power of the ceremony, the beauty of the ceremony, you might say. That he's, you know, uniting in his person the whole Tzibur, etc., etc., He's bringing the Susa Tzibur and, and so forth. Uh, you know, that that's generally what's happening. So if I'm living in Yafo or Galil or Yarding or wherever, what do I do as an individual on Yom Kippur? Which is, after all, supposed to be kind of like the most important day of the year. That's when you get your Slicha Kapar, hopefully. You understand? Sounds like I'm entirely passive, and I leave the job up to the Kongodal. Isn't that right? That's the biblical Yom Kippur. All the action happens at the central place, the Mishkan, or later the base of Megdash, as done basically by one guy and a small group of uh, attendants. Uh, that's just uh, unusual. And, uh, you know, you can be from, so I guess everybody else is supposed to do tshuva. I, I mean, I get that. Although, a lot of the tshuva from the temple period sounds pretty doggone um, mechanical. As we know, that's a separate shmuz. But nevertheless, everybody's kind of familiar with those Mishnahs at the end of um, Yuma, Chatas Vashem Vadi Mechaprin, Misa Viyama Kibur Mechaprin Mashuva, Chub Mechaprin Saveos, Losavo, you look in the Mephorshim. I mean, the Karbonas cover up like a lot, take care of a lot of stuff. So, what exactly was this kind of Yom Kippur? My point is, that for a thousand years at least, I mean, I assume, you could have Rechitza on Yom Kippur. You could have Sicha and the Ilasasand on Yom Kippur. Uh, you could have Tash and Shemitah, frankly, on Yom Kippur. I mean, think about that. really gives it a, a different character. Uh, Mamash a different character. Uh, there wasn't any long davening because davening it per se did not exist. Right? Am, am, I, am I right? Uh, you know, Davening came, as we all know, in the, as the Ramam tells you in the beginning of Hilchus um at the beginning of the Baishani period, in time of Ezra and Chemia, for various historical reasons. So here you are for the time of David and Melchah and Elio and Novi and so forth and so on, Yeshayahu and whatever, and you have Yom Kippurim, and if you're in Yerushalayim, and if you're in the base of Migdash, and you have to be watching the ceremony, no. But otherwise, you're, you know, you're just saying... I'm relying on somebody taking care of the whole thing for me today, and the only thing I know is for the next 24 hours I shall eat. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's strange. I repeat, there was no issue on me having Sicha, Rechitza, Nilsa, Sando, Tasha, Amito. It's kind of strange, because that means it's really like a regular day. The only difference is the, 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 the fasting. Uh, that's just, uh, you know, unusual. And then, of course, things somewhere along the line changed. Um, so when would that be? So, first of all, I don't know. You know nobody knows. Uh, but what would, what would be the logical way of understanding this? This is the point I wanted to get across today. Yeah, sorry, I had to be interrupted there. Uh, what was I saying? The, the, if you look at the Mishnah, 
they talk about the fact that in the Bayashani already, there was a shul on the Harabais that like boggles the mind. I'm just opening here uh, the beginning of seventh chapter of Yuma, where it talks about the Gongol doing the Kriya Sator, remember that? And I'm just reading in the art scrolls in English, the Mishnah, and he says that Bolo Kohen Gadol Likros, he must Likros big debuts Karim Lo Bitzlaslovan. And then they talk about Chazan HaKneset. Remember, they, they passed the Torah to him. And as Rashi says, there was a synagogue on the Temple Mount near the Temple Courtyard. Okay? So, what I'm trying to say is, somewhere along the line, in the Bayashani period, certain changes kicked in. Um, they were kind of revolutionary, actually, within Judaism. And it's associated with the idea of a Knesset-based Knesset, a synagogue, and all the rest of it. Uh, this has to do with the fact that unlike the first temple period, when you had the second temple period, by Shani period, you already had Jews living in the diaspora all over the place. Of course, there were Jews living in Israel and Yerushalayim particularly, but there were a ton of Jews living in Chosaris, in Alexandria, in Egypt, in the whole Greco-Roman world. And how did those people practice Judaism? Now I'm dealing with a large historical issue over here, but I don't want to get too much off on a tangent. But you understand what I'm saying. How did people practice Judaism um, if they lived in the Chutzlars? Uh As we know, they're like organically developed something called a shul. Or perhaps if you want to play with the idea you could say that when the Anshe Knesset Agdola created something called Tefillah, which the Rambam, of course, says that they did, because people couldn't speak Hebrew anymore, and this and that and the other. So um, they were at the same time, if they're creating Tefillah B'Tzibur, Shemona Esrei specifically is what the Rambam is talking about. So it means they're creating a place to say it, and no, there's a shul. So from the time the Anshe Knesset Agdola started something called Beta Knesset, which I bet you some historian in the 19th century must have said it's a house that was set up by the Takana of the Knesset, but whatever, the Knesset Dola. You know, Knesset used to be the Sanhedrin. That's the term they used. Sanhedrin came later. It's Greek. So um, you started having a new institution in Judaism called a shul, a synagogue. And in Chutzlars especially, but also in Eretz Yisrael, there developed something called Tefillah B'Tzibur with... A shul is the center where that happens. And rules and regulations popping up and protocols. And it even spread into the base of Mignish itself. That's what you see here in Yuma. So um, it's kind of funny. Because the Chazan of Knesset, um, as the Bartanur and the other one say, and the Tosis Yantav, is we're dealing with the Chazan of Knesset in the Mishnah. Who know till it's the Torah. Venosa Rosha Knesset, Rosha Knesset, Rosha Skan. So you have an individual, an official called the Chazana Knesset, and you have somebody called the Rosha Knesset. And again, I'm reading an art scroll. The man who was responsible for ever to have the done in the synagogue, like a Shamas today, was called the Chazan in those days. And then there's the Rosha Knesset, and he's the guy who's like the president of the Shul. So, it, as they say, it kind of boggles the mind. You know, my uncle is a, is a president of a shul where? It's on the higher bias. <laughs> okay? But that's what happened. So you had two operations going on at the same time. You see what I'm talking about, the evolution of Yom Kippur? You have an operation called the Kohen Gadol stuff. In addition to that, you also have an operation called 
a base Knesset stuff. So there was some sort of davening, some kind, I don't know what, going on in Yom Kippur, even higher bias. And then, of course, that's multiplied outside the higher bias across Kal Yisrael. And so you see, the Yom Kippur is assuming a different character in which it's not totally and, and solely up to the central location where the high priest does all the work. But in addition to that, you have a parallel phenomenon of Jews all over the place starting to do what you and I do today, which is go to Shul and have certain character to that. Do you get what I'm saying? The, the synagogue Yom Kippur is a later period in Jewish history by Shani and onward. Now, here's where I'm coming from. Think it out loud. So now you have, as you didn't have before, the phenomenon of synagogue Yom Kippur. So masses of people are showing up. Um, large numbers of people are showing up. Is this the period when, let's put it this way, um, you start to see these Rabbonans, where they start to aser, uh, Sicha, Rechitza, uh, Nils Asandol, and, you know, and Tasha Mita and all that. I think so. I'll tell you where I'm going. Not only do we see there was this significant change in the character of Kippur by the creation of the synagogue and therefore the mass participation, but we also have, as we all know, one of the strange aspects of Yom Kippur, very strange aspects, is from Rajbi of Shimbin Yochai, of all people, where he said they used to have the dances of the girls and the boys, the girls. L'hoyam tovim Yisrael, you know, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Sadie Hawkins Day, Shidduch Zin. So consider this well. You have a young person who, uh, a girl, looking to get married, or a guy, and it's Yom Kippur. And in the old classic way, the coin Gadol does all the work. But this girl knows, around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, starts the party. Once the Sarla Azazah been pushed off the cliff, and once the red string turned white, I'm sure that's the big deal for them, once the red string turned white, and you see that Hashem forgave everybody's sins, then the Kohen Gadol goes off to prepare his party, and oh, he does a few more things, but then he eventually goes to give his party, and then starts a dancing, which is a, just a different character. It is strange to us even today to figure this out. Let's put it this way: the Agudas Yisrael won't be sponsoring, you know, <laughs> a a uh, you know Benos Yisrael dancing in the in the in the uh, vineyards, okay? Um, but there you have it. Now, suppose I was a girl. It could be a guy. Suppose I was a girl, and I might possibly meet my shidduch today. That's kind of a big deal. So is this girl thinking about Yom Kippur in the classic sense? Oh, my Averis. And Ase uh, and Los Ase and this, and that, and the other. She's thinking about, I better look good. I'm serious. I'm not, I don't mean this for fun. I better look good for this afternoon. So she's going to take a shower or, or, or something like that. She's going to Rechitza. She's going to do Sicha. She's going to want to come in good shoes and the Osa Sandal. Okay? And so you can totally understand that a ton of people are not going to go to Shoal because they're too busy personal grooming. And the Chacham are saying like this, like the Rambam says, Tishbos, Shabbat Shabbosan, this is not Yom Kippur Dik. It's not Osir exactly, meaning the Torah didn't explicitly forbid it 
in the way that the Torah sort of sort of explicitly forbade eating and drinking, but it's contributing to an atmosphere where it's not Yom Kippur Dick. Because instead of people thinking about their Averis and, and Shuva and so forth, they're thinking about, you know, how they're going to look at the three o'clock dance, which is 100% understandable. And therefore, I think, I don't know, of course, you can't know. I think this is probably the time when they started coming out with, the Sanhedrin started legislating uh, the Shvusen, in other words, the Inuyim. Uh, you can't wear uh, uh, good shoes. Um, you can't wear, uh, you can't uh, go and take a, a, a shower, a bath, or something like that. Uh, you can't go and anoint yourself, which must have been a major part of the beautification process for boys and girls. Uh, and Tasha Shemito, you know, what, what can I say? Uh, you know, uh, uh, there's no doubt, let's put it this way, that if you have a ton of boys and a ton of girls, whatever, I'm not going into that. But you can understand where all of a sudden uh, they're going to ask her that. I mean, it's just really interesting. Think about this. There was a time when Tashush was Mutter and Yom Kippur, and then they passed a law, the Sanhedrin, that you can't. Um, it's got to be a historical background. What I'm trying to say is whenever you have a Drabonin, you're talking about history. If you have a Daraisa, maybe not, because Daraisa is from the Chumash, and Hashem gave it to Moshe Rabbeinu, and you know, God is an infinite intelligence, or not even that, it's beyond infinite. So therefore, you can't necessarily figure out, you know, what's really going on in Chumash. It's like infinite wisdom. But when you get to a Drabona, there's a time and a place that this was legislated. Every law in the world, including the Jewish law, if it's man-made, came due to certain circumstances. So if all the Mepharshim seem to say that these other four Inuim were legislated, so first of all, when? Second of all, why? Third of all, by the way, did it all happen at once or, or did it happen bit by bit? In other words... Maybe there was a time when they said, you know, um, because of this and this and this, we're offering Tasha Shemitah, which I can totally get if you're talking about all these large gatherings of people of both genders. Uh, maybe later on, they offered their shoes, uh, you know, because that was becoming a fashion show situation. Um, and, you know, you cared more about that than, than, than the, about Yom Kippur. Maybe later on, they offered Sicha. Maybe later on they answered, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, Rechitza. I don't know. Uh, or maybe they did all four at one time. But it's highly interesting to consider how the changes in Yom Kippur, which I just laid out for you, those certainly happened. There's no question that there's a big difference between Yom Kippur before the synagogue was created and afterwards. There's no difference in the character of Yom Kippur. There's no question that the character of Yom Kippur in the history of Kali Yisrael had to significantly change once it became an object of Tefillah B'Tzibor, uh, which, you know, you can totally, you can totally, uh, you know, see. Uh, is this connected with the Drabonis? It has to be. I, like I say, I don't know, we don't know for sure. I want to be clear. Again, I want to reiterate, we're talking about laws that were passed by the Sanhedrin in the executive session. You understand what I'm saying? When you look, for example, at the Shavuot on Shabbos, um, you want to count them up? I count about 80. How did I do that? You know, there's a chart at the beginning of, uh, it's probably online, there's a chart at the beginning of the second volume of Sharmat Sambalacha, the Sharmat Sambalacha, which uh, lists on one side all the derises connected with the 39 Malachas, and on the other side all the Drabonans. And when I say Drabonans, it's the Shavuosin. And, uh, you know, we all know what the 39 Malachas are, but it's got the Ovos and the Toldos, so it's more than the 39 things. 
is uh, you know the the thirty nine plus the toldos, but all the others and the toldos are deraiso. Uh But the drabonins are drabonins, obviously. Now we don't know every iser drabonin passed by the Sanhedrin in Jewish history. We only know the ones that we have from the Gemara. Get over it. You understand? Just understand that. When we see a drabonin, it's something that the liter the, the Talmudic literature shared with us. Whatever it didn't share with us, we don't know. So we don't know exactly what all the drabonins on Shabbos were throughout Jewish history. One imagines over the course of many, many centuries, probably all kind of legislation was passed. But it doesn't matter. You know, it's 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 lost to us. I mean, and that's just the way it goes. Um, you know, you, you can understand that. However, uh, I mean, it's part of the goals. But what we have, we have. Uh, similarly, when it comes to Yom Kippur, we have what we have. We don't know if it's, it's the total. We, we know what the Mishnah shares with us. And so what I'm trying to say is, understand this well. Once upon a time when we had a country, and we had a base of Megdosh, and we had a Sanhedrin, so that meant that from time to time, the Sanhedrin would legislate and pass stuff to give Yom Kippur a character of Yom Kippur. And for all we know, sometimes they, uh, what's the right word? They retracted earlier rulings if the times called for it. Same thing with Hilchah Shabbos. Uh, so, for example, as I said before, they would pass a law about TVs and uh, time clocks, you know, if it was around today, but there isn't. They would pass a law about uh, booze, which you didn't have. You only have, you know, wine and, uh, and, uh, and um, vinegar back in ancient times. That's the only thing that's there. Today, ever since Sanhedrin uh, fell apart, was destroyed by the Romans, however it happened, ever since no Sanhedrin, we are not in a position to make new drabonans. That's a basic principle of Jewish religion. Uh, check out the Rambam in his intro uh, to the Mishnah Torah. I mean, you don't need that, but that's a classic place where he says it. We do not have, you know, um, the ability today to make a new drabonan. So, you know, uh, if you have some electric type thing, uh, which popped up in the 20th century, uh, they couldn't make a drabonan about it one way or the other. Uh, there was no such uh, you know, a body of Sanhedrin. The most they could do, and most we do in general, in the Shalas and Shubas and so forth, is to try to make arguments of analogy. You know, in other words, is electricity fire? You get it? Things like that. You take existing laws and you try to extend it through logical argument, logical halachic arguments to existing situations. That's what Psak is. But it's not the kind of Psak that they had when they had a Sanhedrin. So uh, I close with this notion that when you look at Yom Kippur, uh, it's kind of interesting to understand how the Klai Yisrael developed over the course of time, and uh, if the Sanhedrin if the Sanhedrin was there today, would they ask for something new? Would they permit something new? Uh, you understand? It would be like that. Uh, to tell you the truth, a, 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 a hot item... <laughs> that they would have to uh, paskin on would be, uh, you know, if there was a Sanhedrin today, uh, what kind of shoes are okay? Because, you know, it's a different opinion among the Rishonim, whether or not you more or less have to wear barefoot and feel the koshi ha'aretz or not. Um, I use the regular, uh, you know, tennis shoes and things like that, Crocs now, because, uh, which most people do, uh, because we paskin that way, but, you know, many people disagree. And instead of having different types of opinions, you'd have a Sanhedrin, which would say, these are the kind of shoes you can have. 
excuse me, and these are the kind you can't. But we don't have that. And so we end up with what they poskined thousands of years ago, which is Sicha, Rechitza, Nilza Sandal, and the Tasha Shemitah. But it um, wasn't always like that. And so the core Yom Kippur is a core Yom Kippur is, is, is a, a, a fasting day. That's just interesting. <coughs> the Torah says, Ta'anu is not Shasechem. It's just a fasting day. Um, the rest of it is extra. The main part is uh, the introspection. You understand? Now, maybe I'm wrong. Because Tanu is now Shosechim, we identify with Achille Shtia. Torah doesn't say anything about introspection. Well, yeah, it does. Because what do the words Tanu is now Shosechim mean? Think about this. I think m- m- most people don't even give this a thought. Forget the, the Achille Shtia business, which is the Torah Shabbat, I get that. But what does it mean? Kibizem Tanu is now Shosechim, Inu Nefesh. Inu Nefesh means to afflict the Nefesh. What's the real way of afflicting? Let me put it this way. If I asked Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, what does it mean to Inu in Nefesh? So he would say like this, you have to be self-critical. Uh, you know, you have to examine yourself. And um, sometimes it's an Inui to, uh, you know, really review your Chesronus. And it could be an Inui to say, gee, I really have to roll my sleeves and change my behavior. I have to start doing this or stop doing that. It's not so push it. Um, and that kind of inui is the main, you know, goal of Yom Kippur, obviously. But in the halachic literature, get translated into achil So I just wanted to share the point uh, that if you, you know, I may be right, I may be wrong in my reconstruction, but there's no question that Yom Kippur underwent the development. As soon as you tell me that there's all kind of things that are drabbanan, so we end up with five inuyim in which only one is derisa, derisa mamish that Hashem said to Moshe. And that was the way it was for a long time. And then somewhere along the line, uh, they legislated to add these other, um, what's the right word, Yisurim on uh, Yom Kippur. And obviously it had been a response to uh, to some new conditions. And that I think is, is, is very interesting. Why they had all these girls dancing and everything on Yom Kippur, I, I never heard a good word on that, a good shot on that. I mean, I can understand if somebody wants to give me a Hasidic interpretation. Now, I'm serious, you know, I've heard those sorts of things, but, you know, a straightforward push-up shot, how would they allow something then that you wouldn't think of allowing today, as supposed to be frumer then, that still remains uh, something of a mystery. Anyway, I just want to share those thoughts. I'm very grateful as you should be, to Gluck Plumbing for uh, sponsoring this. And with that, I wish everybody an easy fast. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.